the lyric says that you are awesome in this place. But can I tell you that this place is just not right here within these four walls. But he's awesome everywhere. He's awesome in this place today. He's awesome in here on Monday. He's awesome in here on Tuesday. He's awesome in the midnight hour. He's awesome when I rise up early and I seek his face. And he's awesome right where you're at. His presence is right there where you're at. You wonder why we raise our hands and how we can still praise the Lord in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all that is going on. You wonder what it is that they, how can they praise the Lord? And you may even think, well, they don't have any problems going on in their life. I can assure you that that's not the case with not me and not one that is standing behind me or those watching media. But the reason why we lift our hands to the Lord is because we know who is still upon the throne. We know in whom we have believed. We know that he is Abba Father. And we know that in any moment of the hour of the day that we can cry out unto him. And we know that our prayer is heard. We know that the supplications of our heart is heard. We know that he hears us. And we know that he possesses all power to be able to move upon our need. And let me tell you right now, if you'll reach out by faith, if you'll reach out by faith and stretch out that hand towards him, believing in who he is and what he's done, he's able to meet your need. I don't care if it's sickness in a body. I don't care if it's a bondage that needs to be broken off your life. Or most of all, if it's salvation. He's there today to move in your life. All you've got to do is simply believe and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. When I don't have any other words to say, all that seems to happen is tears that run down my face. If I could just say in the name of Jesus, I know that he hears me, and I know that he knows what my name is. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today and again. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we are so thankful for that we can call upon you, that, Lord, we can call you Abba Father, Lord. God, we lift up praises unto you today. God, for you are worthy. Lord, you are so worthy of all praise. Lord, you're worthy of praise just for who you are, Lord. But God, the greatest gift of love that could ever be given to mankind, Lord, the greatest gift that one can ever receive is the gift that you sent to Calvary, Lord, that you sent to this world that went to Calvary 2,000 years ago, Lord. So God, I know, Lord, that maybe our minds are consumed with problems. There are those that are watching, God. And Lord, they seem to be tormented in their mind. Lord, they can't lay aside, it seems, the weight and the sin that is there. But God, I pray, let faith begin to rise within them, Lord. And God, let prayer well within them, Lord God. And let them begin to think of what you've done for them, Lord, at Calvary, Lord. Let them begin to praise you, Lord, for who you are, God. And Lord, I pray that you would bring back to remembrance, Lord, of the times that you have moved in their life, God. And Lord, I know as praise and worship goes forth, Lord, your presence, God, desires to come in and engulf them, Lord. God, let your presence right now go to each and every one, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would invade that room would invade that hospital room. Lord, would invade that living room right now where they're sitting at, God. Lord, touch them right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we honor you. And we give you all glory and all honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. They're clapping here, and we believe you're clapping there. Amen, amen. Again, we are so thankful that you have your word. Turn with us to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Isaiah, chapter 6. <clears throat> I said it last week, and as you're turning there in your Bibles, uh, those of you who are watching, I may not look directly always in the camera because, of course, the praise team and the media is out here and still listening to me, so I may look at them, and uh, they always back me up because uh, it's good to have an amen every now and then. And even though I maybe I can't hear you, holler out amen and praise the Lord right there and uh, for what is being delivered. But again, I am so thankful for those that are here that the Lord has placed here with us. And uh, we had no idea that when the Lord had laid this uh, church here and this opportunity for us to be able to, uh, to come in and to pastor this church, uh, we had no idea what was going to take place this day. But God did, and nothing catches God by surprise. 
but yet the word is still going forth. Even though that we're up underneath a little bit of restrictions, the word is still going forth. Praise and worship is still going forth. And I could not do what I do if it, number one, wasn't the help of the Holy Spirit. But number two, of these great people, uh, these servants of God that the Lord has sent my way. And uh, I am just, again, will ever be in debt and gratitude to them for coming alongside of Stacy and myself and helping us. A lot of times people, uh, they see the pastor and they see the pastor's wife. Uh, and they think that all the work's done by them. No, no, the pastor and pastor's wife couldn't do it all. If it wasn't for the help and the labors that the Lord sent forth, we couldn't be here with you today. So we are just, again, so thankful uh, for those that the Lord has sent our way and that are here to help us. Amen. So I trust that you're there in Isaiah chapter 6. If you're there, say amen. And we're going to read the first seven verses of chapter 6. And the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Verse 3, and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4 says, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from all the altar. In verse 7, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. You may wonder why I'm getting choked up, but let me tell you, that's the word of God. It's living, it's alive, and it ministers to our hearts. And the songs that were sang today, and Stacy had no idea of what I was going to minister on, but every single song that was sung, there was lyrics in every song, the theme there that was all gearing towards the message that I would preach. And that lets me know, and just confirmation, that the Lord has laid this message upon my heart, not only for us that are here, but also for you that are watching. And let me tell you something, you're not here by chance. You're not here just because you're here watching. You didn't happen just to click upon it, but the Holy Spirit has drawn you here today. The Holy Spirit desires to move in your life. The Holy Spirit desires to touch you, and He desires to change you. He desires to change all of us. Amen. And I want to uh, preach a message to you today titled, What About Me? What About Me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you again in the name of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your presence, Lord, that we feel in this house. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your Spirit that is here, God. And Lord, we desire your Spirit. We desire your presence. Lord, it is only your presence. It is only your Spirit that changes hearts and that draws hearts, Lord, that changes lives. Lord, we would ask, God, that you would anoint us, Lord, to deliver the word that you have laid upon our hearts this week, Lord. God, I ask, Lord, that not one word would be spoken, Lord, that you have not ordained, and God, that you would not want spoken. But, Lord, every word that you desire spoken, Lord, let them flow forth from my heart, God. And, Lord, as they proceed out of my lips, Lord, God, the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. God, I pray, Lord, let it reside upon every word, every syllable, God. Lord, that it would go forth and touch the hearts of your people. God, this word touched my heart this week, God. But, Lord, I needed to touch my heart again today, Lord. God, I've come prepared to receive from you, Lord. And I pray and trust, Lord, that, God, the word that goes forth is going to fall upon good ground today, Lord, and that God's fruit is going to come forth, Father. And Lord, we will be quick to give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. And Amen. Isaiah is considered to be one of the most important and profound prophets that ever walked the face of the earth. You see, the book that he wrote has within it some of the 
greatest words that one would ever hear. In fact, Jesus himself, while walking here and in his earthly ministry, would quote the prophet Isaiah more than he would anyone else. You see, Isaiah was one who was bold and uncompromising. I find it humorous that sometimes when bold messages have to come forth and sometimes messages that are direct has to come forth that some people would, would say, well, that's a little hard and, and maybe too direct. Uh, they think that if you preach messages like repentance or you preach messages like Isaiah would preach, that it seems to be old-fashioned and that you will lose people. Let me tell you, Isaiah didn't preach what the people wanted to hear. He preached what God told him to preach. As preachers, as prophets, as evangelists, pastors, teachers, as all of us that are called to be preachers of his word, we are to preach his word. We are to preach what God tells us to preach, not what man wants to hear, not taking a poll, like I said last week, of what we think the people need, but a seeking the face. And I will tell you what we need most of all, more than a touch, as I heard a brother in the, uh, the church that we came from said, we need truth more than we need a touch. Everybody wants a touch. Hey, Lord, touch me, touch me. And God is still in the touching business, absolutely. But let me tell you, you need truth before you need a touch. Amen. Isaiah kept nothing back. If you don't believe me, let me give you just three statements that he made in his 66 chapters that the Lord would inspire him to write. And he spoke in Isaiah 38 and said, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live, spoken to Hezekiah. Or in Isaiah 29, he would say they draw near to God with their mouth and with their lips to honor him, but have removed their hearts from him. Sounds like today's time that we're living in, right? Everybody mentions the name of Jesus. Everybody's hands are lifted up, but many are just lip service that they're giving unto the Lord, but it's not coming from the heart. And let me tell you today, God's not worried about He's not worried about how well you articulate your words and what you may say. He's looking at your heart today. And is the words that are coming out of your mouth matching up with your heart? Because that's what he's concerned about. I'm not worried so much. I don't want him to focus on the words. And he's not, Lord, listen to my heart. Lord, because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Amen. And if there is much love in the heart for the Lord, much love is going to come out in our vocabulary. Amen. And a verse uh, uh, it says also in Isaiah 30, he would say a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord. You see, I would dare say that if Isaiah was with us today, he would be ridiculed and hated as much, if not more, than he was in that day. In fact, Isaiah, many people don't know this, was hated so much that at the end of the ministry that God had called him to do, he was underneath the reign of Manasseh. He was martyred in a horrible, painful way. He wasn't just killed with a gunshot. He wasn't just uh, suffered a, a blow, if you will, that just knocked him out. He was literally placed in a log and sawed in half. All because of the word that he proclaimed. All because of what he spoke, of what the Lord had told him to see. You see, though he was bold and uncompromising regarding what he preached, there was still, though, a tenderness and a compassion that was there towards those who had provoked God to anger from God himself. And let me just preface everything by saying we can have direct messages. And we are to be bold and uncompromising in our words. But we should never speak in a condemning manner in a condemning way, but we should always preach and speak to those in love. Repentance and things that needs to be spoken has to come forth because it's in the Word of God. But should always be spoken in love, with that spirit of love, with the anointing. That's why we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because then He will anoint the hearts of those that are receiving it, that are hearing it at that time. So we see this tenderness and this compassion even in the first chapter when he called out the sin of Judah and he would say, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, you've done so much against me, but though they be as scarlet, they shall be white 
as snow. My God, what a powerful verse. Though your sins be as scarlet, though they are many, if you will come to me, let's reason together. Just tell me that you're wrong. Just tell me of what you've done and my mercies and my compassion will be extended unto you. And in one moment, your sins that are scarlet shall be made white. As snow, amen. Aren't you thankful for that day? Your sins were scarlet and now they are made white as snow. You see, Isaiah detested sin, but he mourned over the fate of sinners. We are to detest sin, but we should mourn over sinners. We should always hate sin and preach against sin, but never hate the sinner, but love the sinner. It was Christ's love that drew those to him when he walked here. It is Christ's love that, that if you're saved, that had drawn you to him. It wasn't because he condemned you. It wasn't because he judged you. It wasn't because he threatened you. He just bid you to come through the drawing of his Holy Spirit. And thanks be to God, you responded to that drawing. And you came to him just as you are. And you received life. You received what you had been searching for. For all of the time passed before that, but never could find. But in that one moment, you received that love that he had for you. You see, God loves everybody. But you've got to receive that love that he has for you. God don't love sin. He loves the sinner. He's got a love there for everybody. But it's incumbent upon you and I and the responsibility upon you and I through the drawing of the Holy Spirit to reach out and to receive his love. Amen. Some says, <clears throat> excuse me, and one theologian would say that if Moses and Christ was approximately 1,500 years apart. Between the time of Moses and Christ. And if the two would walk together in opposite direction. If they would walk in opposite direction through the span of time. One, they would meet at Isaiah 53, 6. Where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let me tell you, the first statement's bad. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's bad enough. And then we have turned everyone, speaking of individuals, speaking of you, speaking of me, speaking of everyone that's living. That's bad. But the most grievous statement of all of this verse, the most heartbreaking portion of this scripture of all, is that the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of every one of us. A man who knew no sin, a man who was perfect, a man who went around uh, uh, preaching and teaching the word of God, healing those that were sick, always extending compassion, always extending mercy. This man that was perfect in thought, deed, and action, but yet God laid our iniquity, your iniquity, your sin, my sin upon Jesus. That should break our hearts. How is it that we could read scriptures of this manner and it not make us tremble? The fact that it was my sin and if it had not been for Jesus Christ, where would I be today? The truth is that I myself would be in a devil's hell, lost and undone. But because Jesus Christ come by my way. I said, because Jesus Christ came to me when I couldn't go to him, he came to me and he threw out a lifeline. I was thinking and the imagery come to my mind this week is studying and preparing of this message as those that are drowning in water and the lifeguard will throw out a life raft for the one that is drowning, the one that is kicking, the one that is screaming, the one that is gasping for air and screaming out, help me, and the lifeline is thrown out. How foolish would it be for that one that is drowning in water to not take hold of the life raft that is there that will save them. You are drowning in the pool of sin that you're in. You're drowning in it. Your, your head is bobbling up and down. And you need rescuing. But let me tell you, the line has been thrown out. And Jesus is that lifeline. And you, all you have to do is extend out, grab a hold of it, and let me tell you, He will pull you in, and He will place you upon dry ground. 
I'm amongst some people that was all in that position of sinking in the waters of sin, sinking in the pool of sin. None of us are without sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when the lifeline was thrown out to us, and many times I rejected the lifeline, but then there was a day that I finally reached out and I took a hold of that lifeline. Let me tell you something. You may have rejected that lifeline time and time again, and you may think he has extracted it, that it's been pulled away. But let me tell you, he's throwing it out to you today. He's throwing that lifeline out to you today. And he's saying one more time, will you take a hold of the lifeline that I'm throwing out to you? Will you take a hold of Jesus Christ? Will you take a hold of what he did for you at Calvary's cross and let him become your Savior? Hallelujah to the Lamb. Never been one who would display such love and mercy as this man and never will there be one in your life that will display the mercy you see he's my Jesus he's not just Jesus he's my Jesus I said he's my Jesus he's my God he's my Savior he's my Redeemer he's the lily in my valley he's my bright and my morning star he is my first he is my last he is the Alpha and the Omega he is the beginning and the end he is my Messiah he is the heavenly Judah he is the great physician he is the way the truth and the life his name is Jesus Hallelujah. His name is Jesus. And let me tell you, everything and so many more descriptions as this man have that I called out to you. He's not only those things to me, but so much more. And he can be them to you. He can be them to you. All you've got to do is say, I believe. Amen. But in the beginning of chapter 6, we see that King Uzziah had died. And Isaiah says he sees the Lord seated upon a throne, and his train filled the temple. Now, King Uzziah was 16 years old when he come up on the throne. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles there that he reigned for 52 years, and during that period of time, unfortunately, at the end, he changed. But during that period of time, everything that was done, there was much prospering that took place there in Judah because the Bible says in 2 Chronicles that he sought God and as he sought the Lord, he prospered him. Prosperity comes through seeking the Lord's relationship with him. He desires to prosper our soul. He could do the same for you, but it is incumbent and it requires us to seek his face so that he can move in our lives exactly and bless us the exact same way that he did underneath the reign of King Uzziah. But King Uzziah had died, and Isaiah says here that he sees the Lord seated upon a throne high and lifted up. Can I? that kings have come and kings have gone down through the ages but there is one king who is the king of kings who's never been dethroned he's never had one to precede him he's never going to have to have one to succeed him because he is alive forevermore amen see what Isaiah had actually seen was a pre-incarnate of our Lord Jesus Christ you see Isaiah was standing right there in the presence of Almighty God. Can I tell you that right now you're standing in the presence of God. What do you mean? How do you know? Because the word is going forth. <clears throat> and as I said that when two or three are gathered together, he's in the midst. See, you're gathered here with us here in spirit. And he's in the midst of you right now. And see, Isaiah was standing right there in his presence. Because again, you and I can have his presence as she was singing that song. Because of what he did 2,000 years ago when he hung on Calvary's cross and he died for mine and your sins, surrendering his death for me so that now he can not only dwell with me, but he can dwell inside of me. And there's nothing more that I desire today than the presence of God. I desire his presence. And you can have his presence wherever. I believe that much is happening to the church today because unfortunately at this time the doors are shut and so many had the mindset that they could only enter into his presence in a church building. But there are many that are finding out now I can have his presence right in my home. I can have his presence when I'm driving down the road. 
I can have his presence when I'm on my job. I can have his presence when I'm there alone in the doctor's office and nobody else is there. I can have his presence. And let me tell you, his presence makes the difference. His presence makes the difference. It doesn't matter who marches into this house. It doesn't matter if we fill this place up with bodies. If we don't have the presence of God, we have got nothing. We might as well close the door up. We might as well go home because without the presence, nothing is going to be done. We have to have his presence. It's not predicated upon how many people is in a sanctuary. It's predicated upon the one, Jesus Christ. Amen. Exodus 33, 14, Moses, God would say to Moses, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. You see, Moses went on to also say that if your presence doesn't go with me, then I don't want to go. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go anywhere without his presence. I don't want to come in here and go through the motions of just doing church without his presence. I desire his presence here. I desire his presence wherever it is that I go. See, we need his presence in our home. We need it in the church again. We need his presence in the church again. And he's waking up the church who for far too long has tried to do this without him. And you can't get anything accomplished because he said in John 15 that apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We've got to have his presence. So Isaiah was standing in the presence of the Lord. And, and no doubt he could stand. He could not stand as the Bible said that the train of the Lord had filled the temple. You see his glory was so great that the Bible says that the seraphims that were there. These, these creature beings that God had created cover their faces and their feet. Now let me tell you something. If the sinless seraphims had to hide their faces in the feet of the, of the presence of a thrice holy God, where does that leave you and I who are sin-laden individuals? They couldn't even behold His beauty. There they cover their eyes and their feet because of His presence, because of His glory. You see, the first revelation of His holiness is when a sinner says yes to Jesus. You see, when you got saved, you came to Jesus and all of your sins and all of your filth. And again, you cried out unto him because you realized, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. And these seraphims would cry, holy, holy, holy. Now, a lot of people may say, well, why is it that there's holy mentioned three times? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You can't have this walk with the Lord without all three. If you're in a church that is preaching and teaching a Jesus-only doctrine, you need to get out. There is God the Father, God the Son, and there's way too many scriptures that will, live, will, will tell you of this stuff. I don't see how people can get around it, but it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A triune God, all equal in power and in glory. Amen. You see, He's the God of my past, my present, and my future. And they never stopped the seraphims crying unto the Lord. Now, if the angels and these creative beings in heaven are constantly crying, holy, 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 who are sinless, and they can't sing the song of redemption, then where does that leave you and I? If they're constantly singing it, if they're constantly saying it unto the Lord, who's never, who will never be able to sing of that redemption story, who will never know what it is to be changed by the power of Almighty God, then where leave you and I why is it that we have ceased to praise and worship the Lord when we leave this house when praise and worship should ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips it should be there Psalms 34 1 I will praise the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth See, people wonder how is it that you praise the Lord I'll tell you because we've been saved and we're on our way to heaven that's enough to praise him for. That's enough to worship him for. But if you've got time, you better sit down and kick up your feet because I'm going to have you in my company a long time when I begin to tell you how he's moved in my life, when I tell you how he's healed my body, when I tell you the miracles that he's performed, when I tell you the prayers that he's answered, when I tell you the doors that he's opened, when I tell you how he's moved time and time and time again, you won't be able to get away from me because my mouth will not ever be able to cease to speak of the praises and the glory of my Jesus. And neither should it yours. 
You see, we, we sing of his wondrous works. We tell of that glory. That's the glad story of redemption. We sing about the blood and the song of victory. And so many people, hey, you might as well get ready because this is just a dress rehearsal of what's to come. The praise and the glory and the honor and the worship when we get to heaven ain't never going to stop. But it's going to continuously come forth. It's not going to be turned on and turned off like we do many times here upon this earth. Because there's going to be an absence of sin. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more sickness and no more dying. And there we will be able to worship the Lord for all of eternity. And praise Him crying, holy Holy, holy, amen. Upon the cries of the seraphim saying, holy, 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 it would shake the doorpost. And when I read this, I thought, Lord, let my cries and worship and praises of my voice touch you to the point to where it shakes my post. Lord, I pray that you shake the post of this church. Lord, I pray that you shake the post of Yakinville, of Denver, of this state, of this country, of this world. Lord, shake us one more time because we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation because I've been changed, I've been born again, and I have been redeemed. Amen? So here Isaiah is standing in the midst of the presence of God and he says... Woe is me. Woe is me. And this prophet Isaiah, again I say, was a great prophet. And he was to speak some things that were not necessarily pleasant to the hearer's ear. In fact, if you back up one and go to chapter 5, you will see six woes that Isaiah had pronounced upon Judah. These woes were those of drunkenness, of those of covetousness, those of apostasy, literally those heaping sin upon sin upon sin that was calling evil good and good evil, much like we're in the world today. But yet when he got to the seventh woe, he had to pronounce it upon himself. You see, it's easy for us to call out the sin of other people. It's easy for us to point out the wrong, and it should be pointed out. Let me tell you, sin is sin. It's wrong then. It's wrong now. God don't change. I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. These things that people have propaganda, these, people, these things that, that have passed in the law, they are wrong. Abortion is still wrong. Homosexuality is still wrong. Murder is still wrong. But guess what? So is gossip. So is jealousy. So is backbiting. So much of this stuff is still wrong, but yet we want to focus on the big things. But yet the sin is wrong, and yes, it should be called out, and there is a time and a place for it. But I find it interesting that how much of the church today, while pointing fingers at the world and telling them how wicked they are and how simple they are, never turns around and sees their own simpleness and their own wickedness. 2 Chronicles 7.14, and we will repeat that verse time and time again because that is the verse, that is the scripture, that is what God is saying to the church today. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves down, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. What does that tell us? There's wickedness within God's people. There's wickedness within the church. And we can easily see the wickedness. We can easily see the sin of the world. And we'll point it out. And we'll shout hallelujah. We'll point that finger. But yet we never look at our own wickedness. We never look at ourselves. And discover and see the, the filthiness and the wickedness. That is within. You see sin in the child of God. Is just as ugly. As the sin in the unsaved. Sin is sin. It's wrong. It's wrong in the lost. And it's wrong in the saved. The blood bought child of God. Who's on their way to heaven. Thanks be to God. But yet sin is just as ugly within us. And God cannot. God cannot bless it. God cannot pass an eye over it. Just because we are his children. Saying well I'll give them a pass. But I'm not going to give these people a pass. No no. Sin has to be addressed. Not only by the lost. But as well as the saved of the church. 
You see, we somehow think that because we come into the house of the Lord week in and week out and we do church and we raise our hands up and we shout hallelujah, some speak in tongues, that we somehow are above that one that's an alcoholic. We're somehow above the one that's a drug addict. We're somehow above the one that has walked the street last night. We're somehow above those that are bound in sin. But let me tell you, if not for the grace of God, you and I would be here today and we within ourselves hear me within ourselves you as your own person without him we are wretched we are miserable and we are blind and the eyes of the church need to be opened up to that he that has an ear he needs to hear what the spirit is saying and the spirit of God is saying to the church of Laodiceans in which we're living here today that we're saying we're rich we're increased we're goods we're in need of nothing Think about that. We're in that age where we think we're in need of nothing. We're increased with goods. We're riches. But the indictment that God is serving saying you don't even realize that you're miserable, you're wretched, you're naked, and you're blind. God, open up our eyes. God, help us to see us for who we really are. And without Him, we are nothing. We're nothing. We will go and I think about it and I remember Lord help me not to say this the wrong way raising up oh, well let me put it to you this way I worked in the business for 20 years at McDonald's and for many years I had to pull a lot of Sundays and I can tell you that the hardest day of the week was always Sundays and the reason why it was the hardest day was not because of the lack of help. It wasn't because uh, they were big orders, as the weekend orders are usually big, but it was dealing with the customers that we had to deal with. And many of them would come in in their three-piece suit, their tie on, carrying their, their greatest pocketbook, hair all done, and yet were some of the meanest people that we would come in contact with. They just had gotten out of church, and I don't doubt at all many of their hearts. I don't know their hearts. I'm not judging people here. You may say, well, you're judging. No, I'm not judging. I'm simply stating to you that, that again, we've got to evaluate self. The character of self needs to be evaluated. And what was that doing to me of all them many years that I wasn't serving the Lord or to those that are when they would see people come in that they apparently knew they just come to church but yet we can't treat the people that was waiting upon us with any dignity and any respect whatsoever. Oh, that really makes me want to know Jesus. See, this is the kind of preaching that necessarily don't get a lot of amens and you won't shout me down, but it's the kind of preaching that we need. Because we need to be changed. You see, these woes that he was pronouncing is indicative of today. And how can we call sin out? But when Isaiah came into the presence of the Lord, he realized, I am a moral leper just as King Uzziah. Just as King Uzziah was a moral leper, as I'm standing here in the presence of God and I see him, oh my God, I am no different than him. You see, when you truly have an encounter with God, it will make you see what you really are and make you cry, Oh God, change me. Oh God, change me. And again, we go through the motions, we go through church, and we pat ourselves on the back. And oh, we're a good Christian. We're this and we're that. And yes, we are a child of God and we should declare it. But we walk around and we've got this pious attitude and our nose are up in the air. And we think that we got it all going on, that we're a hot shot. And let me tell you, my friend, we're not. And you want to know how you find out? Let the storms of life come. Let the trials and tribulations come. And I can speak of myself that ugly comes out. And the Lord allows these things because of his love for us. Because he desires to change us. What do you mean change? I thought when I got saved, I did get changed. You did. You did get saved. Praise God. You were called out of your sin and you were brought out of darkness and into marvelous light. You're now a child of God. But even after getting saved, there's still a whole lot of you and I that needs to come out. There's still a whole lot of you and I that needs to be changed. And God desires through the power of His Holy Spirit to change you and to change me. What for? To make us more like Him. 
Should that not be the desire of the church today? Lord, make me more like you. Psalms 139.23 says, search me, O God. When's the last time you prayed that? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Think about that. David said, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any way, any wicked way in me and leave me in the way everlasting. Pray this with a sincere heart and watch out. Because the Lord will reveal those things within you that needs to be changed, that are wicked, even though we may call them uh, you know, little foxes. But again, little foxes full of the vine. And again, he wants to change that. Oh, well, that's just a little white lie. Let me tell you, it ain't a white lie. A lie is a lie. Sin is sin. And again, we want to rank it. But God wants to change us. We should be praying every day. Search me, oh God. And let me tell you, we don't have to be fearful as he reveals these wicked ways. As he reveals the junk and the clutter that's there. We don't have to be fearful because he's saying, I'm going to reveal it to you. I'm going to bring it to the surface. Now bring it before me and allow my blood to wash it away. Allow me to change you. You don't have to be scared to pray this. We should be praying it. But when he does, he's doing it for your good. And now, as David will say, lead me to the way everlasting, which will always be to the cross. For it is the way. Five words in this verse show us where the emphasis of the searching and trying should be. And it's me. Search me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Lead me. Not my brother, not my sister, not the one that I sit next to on the church pew, not the one that's next to me in my job, but Lord, search me. And if we could really get a hold of this and allow this to become alive to us and our focus would be upon our own personal relationship instead of focusing and worrying about the relationship with others, we would be in a lot better place. We can maybe come together in one accord and in one mind and in one harmony like that, worshiping the King of Kings because we are allowing the Lord to touch us. We're allowing the Lord to move in us and to bring about that change that is so desperately needed in you and in I. You see, the presence of God that Isaiah was standing in was to reveal, hear me, his presence is to reveal the absolute horridness of self. You see, his presence is more than just a goosebump. His presence is so much more than a shout. His presence is for one reason and one reason only, and it's to change you. His presence isn't just to give you a good feeling. I don't have to wait to have a good feeling about the Lord when five goosebumps pop out up on my arm. I feel good about him every day because I'm living by faith and not by sight. I'm living by faith and not by feeling. I wrote it on the Facebook page. When I think about the Lord and how he saved me, how he changed me, touched me, healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he turned me all the way around, it makes me want to shout. But I don't have to have a goosebump to shout. Just let me dwell upon him. And it produces a good feeling. No, his presence is there to change you. That's what his presence is for. His presence has come inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, he's now there inside of you. And he's there not just to sit back and fold up his arm and say, Well, I'll let you feel a goosebump every now and then. He's there to change you. He's there to change me. And why? He's always there, will be there, and the work will never stop. He's there to change us, to clean the junk out, to get the, 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 the clutter out, to get the filth out, the sludge that is there that we as Christians don't like to me, but yet it is still there. We'll come into church, not here, not us. I don't want you to think this because, uh, oh God, I don't want to go there, I'm scared. How many of us have been in church and you know what I'm talking about and yet our own brothers and sisters will walk right past us and we won't even speak to one another. We harbor up hard feelings. We've got bitterness like that. and all that. See, this is what I'm talking about. Stuff that the Holy Spirit grieves him that he wants to change about us. Yeah. Our hearts. Me. You. I want to be changed. I see the wretchedness of self. As Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, God, change me. 
But the gentleness of the Savior as he's revealing this stuff to me makes me know though through his generous mercy that God's not going to drop me off into hell because he's revealed it to me. No, Wayne, I'm revealing this to you. I want to change you. Let me have my way so that I can make you more like me. So you can be used in even a greater way in the kingdom of God. Because we as Christians, we all holler we want to be used. We want to do service unto the Lord. But before the Lord can truly use us the way that he desires, there has to be brokenness. And I will tell you that that is what is missing out of the church today is brokenness. I need to be broken. You need to be broken. We all need to be broken. You see, again, his presence is designed to change us. The need for change must be seen within the life of a Christian so that the power of the Holy Spirit can work with such latitude because, again, we to be changed. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, one who I believe that no one can say has ever walked upon the face of the earth with such consecration, with such love for the Lord that was given the meaning of the new covenant by, but yet in Philippians 3, and I believe it's 13, says, I don't count myself as being apprehended. Basically saying, I don't count myself as arrived. God had used him in miracles, used him to see the dead raised, used him in mighty, extraordinary ways, but he says, I've still not arrived. But I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep pressing towards the prize of the mark of God, of a high calling in God, in Christ Jesus. And I might have had a couple words mixed up. But he kept pressing. Lord, I'm going to keep pressing to you towards that mark. I want to be changed. Lord, change me. Lord can do more with heart and that kind of a spirit than the one who says, I've got it all together. God can't work through someone that says there's no need for change or, well, there might be one little thing. No, no. He wants the one who is like the publican who said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I can't even hold my head up to you. I've got to push my head down. I'm not even worthy to look at you. Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And what does the Bible say? way justified was it the self-righteous Pharisee who said I've done this and I've done that and I'm not done like him or was it the one who hung his head down and begged for mercy it was the one who cried out for mercy Job 42 5 6 says I heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now we've heard of him with her ear, as Job did. But he said, but now my eye has seen you. And when you see him, like Job has seen him, when you go through that as he's revealing to us really who we are after seeing him, what did Job say? Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and in ashes. Job, another great man. One that wasn't even like him on the face of the earth. But when he seen the Lord, I despise myself. I loathe myself. How many in the church really loathe themselves? How many in the church really despise themselves? Uh, later, he would go on to say, Job, what I am vile. Lord allowed him to go through everything that he went through for this reason. Because Job didn't claim perfection, but he had been exalted with the conception, with the mindset of righteousness. Because of what I have done, I'm righteous in the Lord. That he had been exalted and didn't even realize it. See, we don't even realize it sometimes. But here, that's what the presence of God is for. We're reading this. Lord, woe is me. And Lord, when I truly see you for who you are and in all of your glory, God, all I can do is bow down and say, you are awesome in this place. That's all I can do is bow down. I can't even hold my head up. I've got to bow down before you. Amen. See, up against another individual, we find ourselves to be real holy and righteous. Up to another person, I can look real holy and righteous. But standing up to God, I'm corrupt. I'm sin-laden. I'm no good. Because the closer you get to the light, is the more the imperfections that you will see. Certain times of the day, and we hope and pray that you will come and be with, visit with us. We come in here and we paint and all of this. But let me tell you, to the natural eye, it looks good. But the closer and the more the sun shines in, 
especially on that front wall where we put the letters. You'll know what I'm talking about once you get here. Say, you got to be here. You got to get here, know what I'm talking about. You'll see the imperfections of the wall. Standing far away from it, you don't see it. But the closer you get to it, and especially as the sun shines in, you see all the imperfections. The closer we get to the Lord in our walk with Him, as we should be pressing each and every single day, you see just all the imperfections. But it doesn't bring me down because I say, I know He's going to change me. I know He's not going to leave me like I am, but He's going to continue to work on me because He never because the work that he has begun in you, he's going to make sure that he performs it and finishes it. Amen. To not see our own unrighteousness is like the Pharisees who were self-righteous. They thought they had it going on and had it all together. So we can either see ourselves as one, self-righteous like the Pharisee. Or two, as Isaiah, who says, oh God, woe is me. I heard a preacher preach one time. Actually, it was the pastor that were of the church where Stacy and I met. And I'll never forget the message that he preached. Get the Pharisee out of me. Get the Pharisee out of me. Because whether we like to admit it or not, there's a little bit of that unrighteous, of that self-righteous spirit that can easily creep up in us. That can easily creep in and we don't even realize it. Lord, get the Pharisee out of me. You see, the best moment we can have is when we find fault within ourselves and not others. That's the best moment you can ever have in your walk with the Lord is when you find fault within your own self and not in others. It's easy to find fault in others. It's not easy to find the fault within ourselves. Matthew 7, 5 says, First cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to cast out the moat out of your brother's eye. You see, the very fact that we do not address ourselves, but rather others, shows us the state of our own personal situation. The judging faculty is best employed at our own house. Because before we start pointing our fingers to our brothers and sisters, it would behoove us to cast out the greater ones that are within us. And I wrote this down, it come to me, there are way too many private investigators within the church. Way too many private investigators. God did not call you to be a PI. He called you to be a worshiper. He called you to be a worshiper, not a private investigator, to see what you can find in everybody else. And again, it's easy to pick it out. It's easy to pluck it out. And he tells us here, whoa, wait a minute. Before you see the splinter, get that big old beam out of your own. Not easy to be done. Again, Lord, search me. Change me. In fact, the people doing the condemning are really in worse condition than the ones that are condemning. Because again, they're pointing it out, thinking all in the while that they've got it right. You see, many in the church desire the Lord send me experience. But let me tell you that before you can have the Lord send me, as Isaiah finally did, <clears throat> you got to first have the woe is me. Isaiah could not say, Lord send me, until he first said, woe is me. Until he was broken. Till he was broken, and we as the church need to be broken, and it could quite possibly be what is going on today. Repentance. Turning hearts back to you, as the song says. Brokenness that is taking place so that he can now operate and pour out upon us as he desires to do, just like he did the first church. But that first church was broken was seeking him, realized uh, the, 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 the own uh, defilement of themselves, how weak in faith that we really are. We're nothing without him. The Bible says one of the seraphims, though, came to him, and with the hot live coal from the altar, a type of Calvary, he laid it upon his mouth and said, Your iniquities is taken away, and your sin is purged. He is the remedy. That coal that the seraphim took off of the altar is a type of Calvary. That when we go to Calvary and we plead for his mercy and his grace, one drop of his precious blood washes and cleanses every single stain. It only takes one drop of his precious blood. And when I fail the Lord, when I mess up, when I say, oh God, this is wrong, I come to him and a precious drop of his blood falls upon me and it takes it 
away. It purges it away. It removes it. It's gone. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the altar is the place where man is exposed, which must be before he can be cleansed and saved. And my God, help the church to be exposed for who we really are. As those that are wretched, as those that are blind, as those that are miserable and that are in need of Him. My God, we need Him. Lord, expose us and show us who we really are so that God, we will come back to Calvary. So that God, we will repent again. So that God, we will say, Lord, have mercy on me. Woe is me, Lord. Touch me, God. Purge me of my sins. That's what we need. We need that more than anything else, church. That's what we need. John 1.29, though, says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist would usher in Jesus Christ, the one who wouldn't just cover it, but take away the sin of the world. I come to the end of this message, and I was thinking, Lord, how would you have me to close it? And I had different ways of saying that we don't need another program or another new idea. We need to return back to the altar and all of those things are true. We need to come back to Him. The blood of Jesus Christ, let me tell you church, it still works. It's the answer for the sinner and the saint. And as they come and just play, we'll just play. We don't have to sing. Many times I think that we as a church think we've got to be doing all of this. We'll just play. And the Lord took me to Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. And it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou be thou clean. You may be a leper today in the sense of never having been saved. You may be as this man who was diseased with sin and it was literally there taking off of the extremities of his body parts. His fingers were gone, no doubt. His feet toes were gone, no doubt. It was eating off his nose, showing us of what sin does. But let me tell you, as this leper cried out in him and said, Lord, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. The response of the Lord to him is the same response that he will say to you, I will. I will. You've drank yourself to death. You have found yourself so strayed away from the Lord and you once knew what it was to be in the presence of God. And you would say, there's no way he would have me back. Oh, yes, he will. All you got to do is say, Lord, if you will. And he will say, I will. We as the church that are saved, when's the last time you said, woe is me? When's the last time you realized, Lord, that I'm really deep within myself a moral leper? God, change me. God, have your way in me. Lord, get rid of me and make me more like you, Lord. When's the last time you prayed it? Because holiness is what we need. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I desire. Is that your desire? Because the only way that it's going to be changed, the only way that you're going to be developed is by getting in the presence of God and by saying, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, change me. And as he reveals himself to you more and more on this walk with the Lord, you're going to have a whole lot of woe is me. But let me tell you, that's the best place that we can find ourselves today. Woe is me. They're going to play this song. And we as the church here, I'm going to invite them to come up to the altar. Because what we're asking you to do, we are doing ourselves. And that's coming to seek the face of God. And to say, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, change me. Lord, make me more like you. So that, Lord, you can use me to the fullest extent that you desire. So that, Lord, I will be more like you. So as we pray, I want you to pray. Seek the face of God right now and let him move in your heart and life. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.
last week, I felt the unction of the Holy Spirit to pray the sinner's prayer. And that night, about 9.30, I received a message of an individual that had once given their heart to the Lord but had found themselves away from where they needed to be. Have found themselves struggling with sin in their life. Have found themselves in a place they didn't want to be. The word of the Lord went forth and the Holy Spirit touched their heart. And they came back home. A prodigal came back home, amen. And you may be watching here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ. And there is a longing in your heart to be changed, to know Him like we say we know Him. Or maybe you find yourself today, as I said before, in a bad place. But let me tell you, you're not too far gone where he can't, His hand can't reach down and pull you up. He's throwing the lifeline out today to you. Will you grab hold of it? Will you allow Him to touch you? Will you allow Him to change your heart? Will you allow Him to come in? may say well there's nobody here with me to pray oh the Lord's there and we're going to pray right now and if you'll repeat these words after me and you say them and mean them with all of your heart I promise you that he will come in and save you no matter what you've done no matter where you are he'll bring you back to the place where you once were he'll bring you to the place that he desires for you to be dear heavenly father I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I have done. Lord, I'm sorry for the way that I have lived. But I believe that you are the Son of the living God. I believe that you went to Calvary's cross and you died for my sins. I believe that you poured out your blood hallelujah, so that I can receive forgiveness so that I can be cleansed so that I can be made a saint and right now I can say that I am saved that I've been washed that I have been forgiven Heavenly Father Lord we thank you for those that have prayer and God, I pray, Lord, that the word that has went forth today, God, that, Lord, it is, it is a challenge to us, Lord, for, for us to see us for who we really are. That, God, we would discover the unworthiness of ourselves. But in the meantime, Lord, we would discover the worthiness of you, Lord. You are worthy today of all praise. God, I pray, Lord, as you go with us, Lord, from this house, as you go with your people, Lord, that they would yield to your control. They would yield to you, Lord, and allow you to change them, Lord, to make us more into your image, Lord, so that in turn you could use us for the kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the work that's been done today. We thank you for the word that has went forth. We thank you for the lives that have been touched and changed, Lord. And we give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We love you. We're so thankful that you came in with us today via the internet via facebook live and we pray that the lord richly bless you be with us again tonight at 6 p.m as we will minister on the subject pursued by the past we love you god bless